Chapter 29 of the Venerable Don Bosco, the Apostle of Youth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Susan Morin, Sabatis, Maine. The Venerable Don Bosco, the Apostle of Youth, by M. S. Pine, Chapter Twenty Nine. After Death, Don Rua, the successor of Don Bosco, thus attests in his deposition for the cause of beatification the general devotion that immediately followed upon the death of his departed father although in life don bosco had attracted a multitude of persons to him by the fame of his sanctity Yet after his death, there was a great increase of devotion. The learned and noble ecclesiastics, especially, were those who evinced most confidence in his intercession, and not only from Turin, but from all parts of Italy, from France, Spain, austria etc and from across the ocean the united states canada and all the other countries of america came to me letters imploring for prayers to don bosco i can certainly say that these came by hundreds every week there were many manifestations of the potency of his prayers among numerous cases reported by the pen of father lemoyne i choose only three for the edification of my readers the parish priest of nice france tell us that one day speaking to don bosco of a well-known scientist of his parish who had neglected for several years the practice of his religion don bosco considered for a moment and then said do not lose hope let us both pray to mary help of christians and she will obtain his conversion. Two years elapsed, and there was no sign of it. On the morning of January 31st, 1888, continues the priest, as I was sitting in my room, I looked up, and to my surprise, beheld Don Bosco standing before me. You here? don bosco i exclaimed yes he replied 
I have come to tell you that Our Lady has granted your request. I am very grateful to her and you, I said. But why did you come without letting me know? I should have wished to. But here I stopped, for Don Bosco had disappeared, and I was left alone. At first I thought I must have been dreaming. But on the same morning I heard of Don Bosco's death, and I concluded that he had come to visit me before going to paradise. A few days afterwards, the gentleman whose conversion I had prayed for made a good confession and ever after led a most exemplary life. Toward the end of 1887, Sister Adele Marchesa experienced an utter loss of sight. After several specialists had pronounced her case hopeless, she pleaded to be taken to Don Bosco, but he being then in his last illness, the doctors were not permitted. When she heard of Don Bosco's death on January 31st, she entreated more earnestly than ever to be carried to the church where his body lay. Thither she was born on the 1st of February, but the crowd was so great that her party could not find entrance. They returned early the next day, and Sister Adele, kneeling by Don Bosco, took his hand and with it touched her eyes. Immediately her sight was restored. I see Don Bosco, she cried aloud twice. I see you, Don Bosco, has cured me. Her sight was perfect ever after. One of the boys at the oratory became seriously ill. Through the kindness of the superiors, his mother was allowed to nurse him there. On February 1st, being at the point of death, he suddenly looked up and his eyes became fixed on some object at the door. Mother, he said, turning to her, did you see him? Who? questioned the mother. Don Bosco, he replied. Certainly not. Don Bosco is dead and his body is lying in the church. Well, I saw him, insisted the boy. He came to tell me that in three days he will come to take me with him to heaven. No, you will not die yet. You must get better and come home with me. What for, mother? Is it not better to go to heaven? This news afflicted the sick child. Why must I leave the oratory, he lamented. I want to die under the mantle of Mary. The mother was broken-hearted and resolved to take him away from the oratory. Though it was snowing heavily, the mother was inflexible. 
On his arrival at the hospital, he said to the Sister of Charity, I wish to receive the Holy Communion tomorrow. Then you must be one of Don Bosco's boys, said the Sister. They are all alike. They ask at once for confession and communion. I am to die very soon, Sister. Tomorrow Don Bosco will come for me. No, no, protested his mother. Do not believe him. He is under a delusion. The morning hour came and brought the little supper of his beloved Lord in the Holy Communion. His joy and calm were inexpressible. All the day the poor mother sat by his side while he was in a sweet sleep. At five o'clock in the afternoon, he awoke from his slumber, and raising his eyes to one in front of him, exclaimed, Here he is! Here he is! Oh, come quickly! A smile of joy on his face, his pure soul sped forth with his beloved Don Bosco to his early achieved blessedness. The Apostle's reputation for sanctity, so widely established with miracles and prophecies, in so great number attributed to him, there was ere long a general petition of clergy and laity that his cause might be introduced into the Roman court. The petition was granted by Pope Leo XIII. The process ordinary, the first inquiry into the virtues and miracles of Don Bosco was solemnly opened in Turin on June 4, 1890, and ended on April 1st, 1897, after 562 meetings. These acts were all conveyed to Rome and committed for further scrutiny and consideration to the sacred congregation of rites. Countless, we might almost say, were the wonders made known during this first process. They would fill volumes, tributes to Don Bosco's sanctity from all parts of the world, extraordinary cures of soul and body, supernatural conversions, marvelous prophecies fulfilled, wrongs righted, reconciliations brought about, reckless sons or daughters led back to duty, divine vocations especially to the salvation orders in which the finger of God was openly manifest, the tomb of Don Bosco, their beloved benefactor and wonder-worker, became to the people of Turin a sacred place. There might be seen individuals and groups of fervent pilgrims confiding to him, as in life, the secrets of their grief, their present needs, or their future hopes, and they built on solid rock, secure that he whose heart was a fountain of love, of pity, 
of refreshment for all the weak and indigent when on earth, whose prevailing prayer ever brought heaven-sent resources to his redeeming work, was now a still more powerful and loving advocate, his soul immersed in the splendors of the heart of Jesus, the divine furnace of charity. Their confidence was superabundantly rewarded. Faith and enthusiasm grew as the story of cures and temporal and spiritual prodigies was noised abroad, and little pilgrimages came from the various provinces of Italy, from France, from all Europe, and even from America, to obtain healing and light at the tomb of Don Bosco. At the close of the Salation International Congresses, held at the Oratory of St. Francis of Sales Turin, the cardinals, prelates, and other dignitaries with cooperators from all parts went in solemn procession to venerate the mortal remains of the Apostle, to pay their tribute of praise and remembrance to him, and to uplift their souls to greater deeds in his silent presence. End of chapter 29 Recording by Susan Morin Sabatis, Maine.